My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. In today's episode, I am joined by Michael Rubino, who is an air quality expert and wellness advocate helping to bridge the gap between our homes and their direct impact on health. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Home Cleanse. I was selfishly excited to have him on the podcast because I'm personally in the process of buying a house and I was not aware of how to test for mold, what things I needed to look for, and even other toxins such as radon. One of the things we didn't touch on in this episode is lifestyle and dietary strategies in depth that you need to be focusing on when you're supporting your body in terms of detoxification. So mold is going to be in so many different environments and it's probably in the home that you live in. It's when things become at high, high levels that we get super concerned. So knowing that we're exposed to mold, exposed to everyday toxins, there's some things that you want to be extra mindful of. The first one is drinking plenty of water. Water is so essential to every system of our body. It hydrates our cells, it delivers nutrients to every part of our body, but it also helps to remove toxins, including those that are produced by mold. So aim for at least eight to 10 glasses of filtered water per day. Eating a healthy diet might sound pretty obvious, but it's incredible how certain nutrients like vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc, protein, how all of these components of food can help support detoxification. And this is why it drives me crazy when I see these juice cleanses or, you know, very extreme diets where people are cutting out a lot of these healthy foods, because as I just mentioned, we need protein, we need antioxidants, we need all of these things to help our body naturally detox. So eating a diet that is rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, and healthy fats can support your body's natural detoxification process. The next is probiotics. So probiotics can help to restore the balance of healthy bacteria in your gut, which is essential for proper immune function and detoxification. We have about 70% of our immune system located in our gut alone, which is incredible. And then there's certain strains of bacteria that have actually been shown to bind to different mycotoxins and aflatoxins. So certain probiotics such as lactobacillus casei, uh, lactobacillus plantarium, and bifidobacteria have been shown to either bind to aflatoxin or inhibit intestinal damage caused by mycotoxins. Things like kefir grains, which are beneficial microorganisms that are used to make kefir, have been found to bind and absorb mycotoxins as well. So we have good research to support the use of these when it comes to toxin exposure, elimination, and repair from damage. Including probiotic-rich foods is also a great idea. Yogurt, kefir, kimchi, sauerkraut, all great options to get more probiotic strains as well. And then of course, if you have imbalances in the microbiome, things like candida overgrowth, which can also be caused by mold, 
you can have these dysfunctions in detoxification and inflammation in your body. The next is supplementing with certain vitamins and minerals, things like vitamin C, magnesium, zinc. These can all help support the body's natural detoxification processes. Now, I don't have every single client on these vitamins, but in certain cases during a detox protocol or when I know a client is really struggling based on their lab work, we will incorporate some of these antioxidants and minerals to support that process. Exercise is incredible. Exercise helps to improve circulation and it stimulates your lymphatic system, which aids in removal of toxins from your body. Pick an exercise that you like. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, just walking or doing some dancing. All of those things are so great for the lymphatic system. And then sleep. Sleep is important for overall health, but this is when we're doing this regeneration process. We're detoxing, we're helping the brain, we're lowering inflammation, we're regenerating our immune responses. Sleep is essential. Managing your stress, stress chronically can impair your body's ability to detoxify. So it's important to make sure that you're incorporating stress management techniques such as breathing exercises, meditation, or yoga. And then sauna. Saunas are incredible. They can help promote sweating, which can aid in the elimination of toxins from your body. There are other nutrients that I might incorporate into a client's detox protocol, such as N-acetylcysteine, incorporating things like vitamin A, rosmarinic acid, liposomal glutathione, either alone or in combination, as these have been shown to mitigate the oxidative effects of mold toxicity in research. So each plan is going to be personalized to specific individuals, but I just wanted to make sure that we covered that aspect because people are always looking for daily tips for how they can improve body's detoxification system, but also if they are exposed to these toxins, what does that look like in terms of supporting the body? So now that you've got a great list of tools, lifestyle and dietary wise, let's dive into today's episode. All right. Hello, Michael. It's so great to have you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hello, and I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I, you know, looking for an expert in this area and found your name and was quite impressed that there was actually someone who had air quality as their expertise. Um, so I'm just curious, I mean, how did you even get into this field? It's, it seems like there has to be some story behind it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think most kids uh, dream of becoming an air quality specialist as they, uh, you know, uh, decide what they're going to be in life. And uh, for me, it really started happening after Hurricane Sandy happened in the Northeast. My dad's been in construction since I'm five. And so I've been around it my entire life and working for the family business in and out of college. Um, I started seeing this pattern of people getting sick in the Northeast right after Hurricane Sandy. And I think that's when I started to realize that uh, there's something more here that we're not paying close attention to. And um, after working with thousands of people, fixing their home and their air quality and watching people miraculously get better, that's when I started to realize like this is something very important. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I mean, as a dietitian, I do my best to really try to provide the most holistic experience for my clients and understanding, as you know, that you know health is not just your gut, or it's not just your brain, or it's not just your lungs. It's, you know, we're a whole system. And 
Um, not only that, but the environments that we live in are so important and integral to not just general health, but even these more extreme examples of things like autoimmune disease. And as you mentioned, Lyme disease, like these things that we may not realize are impacting our health. So I, I, I'm just so glad that you're here to help bridging that gap between um, this specific topic of how our air quality or our homes in general, how they can impact our health. So I know it's kind of a loaded question to start off with, but I mean, what impact does air quality have on our health or what or quality of our homes in general? I think a tremendous impact. I think probably a lot more than we ever could realize or imagine. Um, if you look at health as a, as a full circle here, you know, we know that genetics and epigenetics play a, a factor in our health and well-being. Um, we understand that the food we eat and the water we drink has a profound effect on our health. If we eat crappy food, uh, we're not going to feel so well. We're going to cause some disruption internally. If we drink bad water, we're not going to feel so well. We can get really sick. Um, and, and we understand that, but we don't really understand much about the air we breathe. And that's really remarkable because we take over 20,000 breaths per day. So it's one of those things where you are breathing a lot of stuff in. Um, if you ever sat near a, a window on a sunny day and saw that ray of light peek through and saw all of that, those dust particles floating in the air, um, you know, you'll really quickly realize you're breathing a lot more than just oxygen every time you take a breath. And um, what's really interesting is, you know, you could be breathing in viruses, you could be breathing in bacteria, mold, VOCs, formaldehyde, radon, uh, all kinds of things. And, and it's not something that that typically is on our radar, and it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I'm in the process of looking at houses right now. And I was not even aware of radon, for example, and the harmful effects that that can have. So I think education is a, a really big part of this, um, you know, and, and some people can get overwhelmed on all the different things that we need to learn about and think about. Um, but I think you're really going to help break it down into some pretty simple tips of how we can really implement some, some lifestyle changes. Um, so my first question for you is like, what are some signs to look for that may indicate that somebody might have specifically mold in their environment? Because this is something that comes up a lot with my clients, um, is, is mold toxicity. We, we do a lot of functional testing in my practice and, um, we tend to find many different species of mold. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the rise of mold toxicity. I mean, when I was, uh, doing this about 11 years ago and I just started out, um, you know, it was not a term you heard much about, um, and you hear a lot about it today, which is a good thing because it means that awareness is headed in the right direction. And the more educated we are, uh, the more likely we're able to be on top of it instead of this adverse effect of it. Um, with mold uh, or bacteria, because bacteria is another problem that, that people have, it's just that mold's easier to test for and identify. So it typically is the common denominator that people look for. Uh, but it's really water. Uh, water is Earth's life source. That's where microbial life takes shape. And so we need to make sure that we're staying on top of water damage inside of our homes. Now, a lot of people think that if our windows leak or our roofs leak, that as long as it dries, that we're okay. And so what a lot of people, what they do is when they have these types of events, they just kind of, you know, wait for it to dry and paint you know, and just touch up the paint and they think cosmetically it's resolved. So it must be resolved. Unfortunately, mold and bacteria, they can start to thrive pretty quickly, like 24 to 48 hours. 
And even if it looks dry on the surface, it doesn't mean that it's dry all the way through. Uh, we have to remember that our buildings have different layers. So for example, an exterior wall, it's going to have your plywood sheathing on the outside with usually stucco or siding or something like that uh, further outside. Uh, on the interior side, we're then going to have these two by fours. We're going to have insulation. We're going to have drywall. And so if a wall cavity gets wet, it's more than just the drywall that gets wet. It's the wood. It's the insulation. And that stuff can trap that moisture for far longer than 24 to 48 hours. So if you have a water event, unfortunately, you're probably going to want to open up the drywall and make sure the full cavity dries out as opposed to just putting fans on it and hoping for the best because uh, even these older leaks that might have happened 10 years ago still could have microbial life there, creating these particles and toxins that are entering our body with each of those 20,000 breaths we take. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've, I mean, even just in the past week, I think I've heard of so many people having floods. I have, you know, clients all over the United States, and that seems like kind of the standard course of action. Um, so for someone who's been in, in the field for so long, I mean, are you going in and like kind of looking at these homes and doing these inspections or how, I mean, how does one determine if there's mold in their home? And I mean, I'm assuming there might be some level of mold, probably pretty common in, in most homes. And how do you know, like when it is too much? Well, I partnered with one of the largest labs in America called EMSL to create a product called the dust test. And what that does is, is a consumer-based product that looks at the DNA of your home. Um, it uses PCR technology, just like we remember through uh, COVID all this time. And it, what it does is it analyzes the dust and tells you if there's mold, if there's mycotoxins or endotoxins, which are toxins that, that are produced by either mold or bacteria, which both can happen in a water damage situation. Um, it gives you an analysis of, of what the exposure level is. So you'll be able to tell if it's 10 times higher or 100 times higher or even 1,000 times higher than what it should be. And that is a good place to start because it's more economical. You know, Once you know you have a problem, the next step would be to probably bring in like a hygienist or an inspector to then help you figure out where the, where is this exposure coming from, which could then require some remediation activities to ensure that the problem's resolved, the molder bacteria is fully removed, and the conditions that allowed it to grow in the first place are handled so you don't have this reoccurring issue. That kind of is the, is the simple step-by-step -step process. Um, but before, you know, people would have to spend thousands of dollars on an inspection just to answer the question, do I have a problem? And now it's hundreds of dollars, and you can do it yourself in your own home. So that was kind of the next step of getting information into people's hands at a more a reasonable rate. Hmm. That makes sense. And, I mean, in terms of health issues, like I think, you know, a lot of people don't typically think of what some of the signs are that they have been living in an area where the levels are too high. Um, so I think understand, people to understand that, you know, mold can suppress the immune system. It can cause symptoms of asthma, chronic fatigue. Um, it has neurological implications, um, psychiatric, you know, implications, so I think if you look at the the whole list of of what some of the symptoms are that mold could be impacting you, there's so much crossover, and I feel like it can be really hard to know um, where testing can be really helpful. I think both testing the home can be really helpful. Testing, you know, doing your analysis of mold can be helpful. Um, in terms of like how to figure out if you have it without testing. 
Um, one of the symptoms that I typically look for in clients is if one of the things that they say is that they always feel better when they're not living in their home, or if they start off by just even telling me like, oh, we've lived in this farm home since, you know, the 1700s or something like that. Like those are always things that I'm looking for. Um, is there any other like red flags that you would look for in terms of looking for a house or things about your house? Is, is it water damage that it's always pretty obvious? You know, it's not always so obvious, which can make it pretty tricky. Um, I did Gwyneth Paltrow's home and it was hidden behind her bathtub. And so you would have never known. I mean, on the surface, the place looked amazingly clean. Um, you would never have guessed. And then you would lift up the bathtub and boom, there it is. Right. And so it's one of those things where unfortunately, um, you, you got to kind of look for those red flags or test. Of course, testing provides the most accurate information. Um, but some of the red flags that I typically look for is first off, if they just moved into a new place and since they moved into that place, they, they started not feeling well, that's a pretty obvious red flag. Um, there's another less obvious red flag that I like a lot that is pretty helpful. And if you look inside your toilet tank, you know, if you go under the toilet, there's that cover, right? That, that heavy cover, lift that off and peer into the inside of the toilet tank. Look in there. If you see mold growing in there, uh, it's a pretty clear sign that it's somewhere inside the house. Um, cause it, it, it's a, it's a living organism. It kind of reminds me of a plant in the way that it produces seeds, uh, like for mold, it's called spores, but it's pretty similar, right? It produces, reproduces by producing these, these seeds that then, uh, get met with water and start to grow. And so that toilet tank lid is it's pretty heavy. Um, there's not a whole lot of air exchange, but of course there's some. Uh, so if you see a lot of mold growing in there, there's got to be a good amount in the air already to get opportunistically get inside of that thing. So that's another good, good place to look. Musty um, smells, I think is another pretty big red flag. If you smell that like Basements are not supposed to smell like wet basements. I know we've become used to that, like, whoa, it's a basement smell. No, that is mold. So if you smell that basement smell, uh, quote unquote, then that means that there's a, a water problem there that needs to be resolved that's creating a, a, a negative impact to the air quality. Also, those coffee-like stains that we see on ceilings or walls, um, it's not coffee, I promise you. It is, it's picking up the rust and other sediments as the water travels through the home. And so that is a clear sign that there's been water damage and you might want to uh, take a look at that area and make sure that there's not any mold there. Um, also like a people have complained about like a very sweet odor. Um, I mean, sometimes the MVOCs, um, which are the microbial volatile organic compounds that are produced off of mold in a water damage situation. Sometimes they smell musty. Sometimes they smell like a cigar where people have complained of this like earthy cigar smell. And sometimes they smell sweet, almost like a brown sugar or maple syrup. And so it, it could be a bit odd to, to nail down, but if you smell any of those odors, it's good to check and make sure there's not a, an issue. Um, I think those are the main kind of obvious red flags. Um, if you have a basement or crawl space and you, know, you may want to go down there and check on the humidity level, it only requires 70%, um, in some, some species 60% relative humidity or more to start to grow. So you want to make sure you're checking those spots that might get a lot that might get very humid. You might have uh, an infestation there. And our HVACs, uh, HVACs are very problematic because they have coils that constantly condensate. Something like mold or bacteria gets to that coil. Um, coils can harbor dust as well, which is going to act as a food source for mold or bacteria. And so 
it could start to grow and then contaminate the system where it's producing all these particles and toxins and then spreading it across your home. So those are kind of the, the troubled spots to check. Kitchens, bathrooms, water damage um, can be a big thing. The other thing about a bathroom that I've found uh, very problematic, a lot of bathrooms, uh, especially bathrooms built before 2015, they, they weren't done with any waterproofing. Um, and what happens is the grout is semi-porous, so water seeps in through the grout, gets into the wall cavity, and then mold starts to grow behind the tile, uh, which can create some problems because, of course, these spores are very, very tiny. They're about 50 times smaller than what the eye can see. And so they can pass underneath cracks and crevices and start to migrate into the home, you know, impacting our, our breathing every time we take a breath. So I think these things are, are important to kind of know and, and be aware of. Uh, and hopefully some free tips for people to go out and check right now. Yeah, those are super helpful. And, you know, one of the things that I saw as a huge big red flag, I was literally home this weekend looking at houses and, you know, someone trying to put massive air fresheners all in their basement. And I'm like, mm, what are you trying to cover up here? So yep. that's that's something that kind of was a red flag to me. And it sounds like, um, you know, they could be covering up some of those smells. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the, I think it was MVCs. Um, so these these byproducts or, or things that the mold are producing, is that correct? Yeah, so MVOCs. So uh, many of us know what VOCs are. It's like off-gassing of certain products. If you've ever painted your home, that new paint smell, that is VOCs, off-gassing from the paint as the paint cures. Uh, and it, it, they are very tiny particles that enter our breathing zone um, that get inside of our body. Uh, that's what's creating kind of that smell that we've become accustomed to. Everything has some level of VOCs. Some are more harmful than others, of course, just like certain species of mold are more harmful than others. And so it's something to be aware of because when you're smelling these odors, it's actually these tiny particles that are entering the body. Um, and that's what you're, is producing that odor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are, are, so we're talking about like mold in the home in general. I mean, there, there are multiple different types of mold, correct? There's over a hundred thousand different species of mold that we know of. Um, sure. There's a lot more of that we don't know of. Uh, it hasn't been a topic we've been doing a whole lot of studying. So I think we've, we do more studying these days than ever before, which is good, but we still have a long way to go. Um, but there are a lot of species. And when we're looking inside of homes, there's typically 36 to 40 different species we're looking at that we know are problematic that tend to thrive in water damaged buildings. And so we always look at trying to understand if those species are present, if they're very high and how to get those lower. The good news is, is that mold fights over the same real estate. So you could in theory have a hundred thousand different species growing in the same week. Right. And so they're all fighting for the same real estate. Um, they produce what's called mycotoxins, a certain species anyway, um, that we can detect. And the mycotoxins that they produce as a self-defense mechanism are actually really to kill each other. So one species of mold might be trying to kill off another species of mold so they can steal their real estate in, in that water damage event. And uh, we become innocent bystanders of this chemical warfare that's happening behind our walls, essentially. Wow, that's it's incredible. Yeah. So when we do testing in the body, you know, testing for mold is a broad term, but looking at mycotoxins as well, um, kind of the breakdown of each of those things and 
And that's what really helps us understand kind of where these are coming from, which kind of brings me into my next question for you of like, you know, I mean, mold from just, of course, exposure from our environment, but also like dietary mold, you know, things that we can get from coffee or, um, you know, mushroom powders or, you know, food sources of mold that we can get. We can find it in cereal grains, nuts. Um, and this can also contribute to our overall load of, you know, would you say mycotoxins? And so is that something that, you know, you've seen in the research as well? Totally. I mean, you can get mycotoxin and mold exposure from nuts, seeds, grains, uh, coffee. Those are probably the, the biggest offenders. Um, and so typically when you're in that healing process, you're looking at probably taking that stuff out of your diet um, and or working with companies that maybe test, have more stringent tests for mycotoxins of their products. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Dave Asprey, but he was pretty much the guy, the, the godfather of testing coffee for mycotoxins and making sure that you know people drank better coffee, um, and that's a step in the right direction. We need to kind of do that with a lot of the the different products out there. Um, there is a uh, there are FDA regulations around mycotoxins, and there's supposed to be limits and thresholds. But unfortunately, there are a lot of farmers out there, and not that many FDA agents, and not <laughs> there's not that much. Uh, while it's regulated, there's no oversight because you just don't have the manpower. Um, and a lot of this stuff also comes from overseas. I mean, some of the coffee you might be buying might come from Costa Rica, as an example, and you just don't know because they don't have stringent testing protocols over there, right? And so it's, it is it is difficult. And so you want to kind of look at the different products, seeing what their guidelines are, um, and deciding whether you even want to eat or consume those products, um, you know, and, and make that decision. But What's really interesting, when you test the body for mycotoxins, um, you're, you could do an organic acid test, right? You can do the urine analysis. I'd say like 99% of the time, we find a correlation of whatever mycotoxin they have, and that mold that produces that mycotoxin is abundant in their home. Uh, for example, ocrotoxin A and aspergillus. Uh, we typically will see aspergillus at least 10 times, sometimes more, higher than what it should be. And then you see that they have high levels of ocrotoxin A or trichothecenes and stachybotrys, right? And so it's really interesting to see this, this all kind of unfold um, because it was really, uh, you have some camps who believe that you get more mycotoxin exposure from food. You have some camps that believe you get it more from just the indoor environment. I think it's a combination of both, there's no doubt. Um, but in some of the research that I've done and in some of the real life examples that I've seen, um, I, I see air quality being a, a, a much worse offender just because if you have a mold problem inside your home, you're going to be breathing in a lot more than you are eating some of these foods. And so there's something to pay attention to there. Oh, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, the just living and breathing that exposure versus, you know, eating some nut seeds or grains and things like that as part of a balanced diet doesn't seem like it would be as concerning, um, which makes sense. There was a woman I spoke to literally two days ago, right, who we tested her home. All the levels came back really good. She had a very slight elevation um, in aspergillus. She had uh, probably a medium to moderate um, elevation in ochratoxin A. And she also, you know, when I'm looking at the test results, I'm like, huh, I don't really think this is coming from the environment. It's barely elevated. 
maybe uh, maybe there's a little bit, and you could definitely improve this. But she did tell me that she's been eating these walnuts, and she's like, every time I open the shell, you know, I'm seeing black stuff on the inside of the shell, and I've just been eating them. I said, well, that that might not be helping either, right? And so there are some cases where um, you know people are getting it from food. There's no doubt. Um, but I, I definitely see a lot more cases where they're actually getting it from the air quality, um, especially as they've improved their diet you know, over time as they've tried to figure out what's what's wrong with them. Sure, absolutely. And 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 the the body in and of itself, right? Like we, you know, in a perfect world, we'd not have any exposure to any toxins and you know, essentially live in a bubble, right? Yeah. So I think I want to also highlight the importance of supporting the systems of the body that the detoxification pathways, our liver, our gut health, because all of those systems are really important for being able to be more resilient to these types of exposures. So of course, you know, if you have mold exposure in your home, you need to be hopefully relocating or, you know, we can talk about some other options that people have if they don't have the option to relocate right now. If anybody's seen the housing market, I can understand why that's not always feasible. But, um, you know, supporting the liver, looking at um, even just food sources, things like cruciferous vegetables and broccoli sprouts and making sure that you're eating enough fiber to properly eliminate and have healthy bowel movements and a healthy balance of, you know, bacteria in the gut to support your immune system. So, you know, not just focusing on the toxins or the, you know, the pollutants to the body in general, but just understanding that we need to support the system, our bodies all the time in order to be able to get rid of these things, even if we're going through a protocol, because anytime, you know, I have a client who's going through a protocol, whether it's trying to lower levels of heavy metals or mold or um, you know, whatever it might be, we can't just go in and say, okay, here, take these supplements and your body will just do what it needs to do. A lot of the times we have to support the other systems, whether it's, you know, supporting secretory IgA in the gut, whether it's supporting the liver um, because they have poor methylation. Um, you know, so we, we really need to make sure that nutrition and, and lifestyle are part of this process most of the time. Totally. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I am a human being. So I feel like I could say this as a human being. Um, a lot of people want instant gratification when it comes to health, right? And um, I lost 35 pounds last year, but you know, I had my own uh, detox uh, issues that I uh, was conquering over the past couple of years. And and in that in that journey, I lost 35 pounds. It took me an entire year to lose 35 pounds, right? This was hard work every single day making these lifestyle choices of who I wanted to be versus who I was becoming. Um, and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, right? And the same thing with detoxing and mold exposure and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it could take a year to get to where you want to go, right? And I think people need to be mindful of that. It's, you know, it's it's the different steps, it's the small steps that we take that lead to the larger outcome. And, um, you know, I think we have to, we have we live in an age where you can get anything delivered to your door in two days. There's almost instant gratification anywhere you look. And we have to just be mindful that unfortunately our bodies don't work the same way. And it takes time. Um, you know, it takes time to build muscle. It takes time to detox. It takes time to lose weight. It takes time to get 
you know, from not feeling our best to feeling our best. And there are different steps that you can take and doesn't mean that something isn't working if it doesn't switch on like a light switch. Right. And so I, I want people to be mindful of that, that, you know, the health is a journey. And when it comes to improving air quality, that's also a journey, right? You have to take different steps and then test and make sure that those steps have taken uh, shape in the right direction. You have to verify that things are are going the way you want them to go. And then you, you, you start to feel the difference in these incremental steps. Um, I've seen some miracles where within seven days, people are, you know, removing GG, GJ fading tubes and all kinds of crazy things. But I've also seen people, you know, just slowly recover over the course of the year. So I think it's really important people know that side of things too, because uh, it happens all too often where people are like, I just want to be better right now. Yeah. Yep. And I'm human too. So I get it. Like, you know, it's, it's that sense of urgency. Um, but you know, the way that the body works is not in that same speed that we would like it to happen. So just having realistic expectations and, and also understanding that similar to your journey, right? Like any, anything that's sustainable, um, and truly healthy requires time, consistency, and patience. Totally. You said something else really interesting too, about how we live in this toxic world, right? Um, if we lived in this perfect world, we wouldn't have any toxins. We'd have a bubble built around our house, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a true statement because unfortunately you are never going to have what's called a perfectly healthy home. You are going to have a healthier home than what you have. And that's really important to know too, because, um, you are going to have a heck of a time if you try to remove every toxin that, that you could ever imagine. You would be spending more time reading food labels and researching products that are manufactured and all these crazy things, and you would spend more time looking at those things and living life, right? And so you want to do the best you can, and I think that's, that's important. And some people are going to be able to, to afford uh, and have the luxury to take maybe bigger steps than other people. And that's, unfortunately, that's, that's part, part of everything that happens. Um, what we do say, though, is take the steps that you can take. You know, probably 90% of, of my, my problems as trying to help people is meeting them where they are and figuring out how to improve their data within a reasonable budget of what they can afford, right? And the, the good news is that when you're talking air quality changes, you're typically talking about construction changes inside your home. Um, or if you're renting, you're talking about different strategies without being able to drill into walls and things of that nature. You're talking different strategies and cleaning techniques of keeping a place clean. Um, but I can't help somebody if I present solutions that they can't afford. So a lot of this comes down to figuring out where are they and how do we help them? Um, luckily that the more, the larger the home, typically the more they have. And, and unfortunately the more it costs, um, if you've ever built a home, uh, from scratch, you'll understand it always goes cost by square foot. Uh, so the smaller the home, the more manageable it is. Right. And so all those things are, are, are important. Um, and, I think I always want people to know that taking steps forward instead of not doing anything is definitely the better route to go. And just because you might not be able to afford, you know, something that your friend did or something that you saw on a Facebook group somewhere, that's okay. You know, do what you can afford and take the steps that you can take and things will start to improve. Yeah. 
on that note, I mean, what are some, you know, tips that people can take, you know, obviously testing could give you insight into what's going on and what's in your environment, but let's say they do find, like they do find, or they suspect that they have a mold issue or an air quality issue, you know, what are some things that they could do to help improve that other than just moving out or complete remediation? Okay. So first I want to explain organism and particle. There's a bit of a difference there and that will lead into the discussion. Um, when you have mold inside, inside your home, um, it starts off as a particle. You have a water damage event. That particle starts to grow into a living organism. That living organism now starts to reproduce and create particles. And so that's kind of the life cycle of how this works. So we have just particles in our environment. It's manageable. We have water damage. Particles become living organisms. Now we have much more particles in our environment, and this is impacting our bodies, right? So now that we know that, what we have to do is we have to, we give two options, right? It's remove the organism creating the particles. This would be the same as if I have a tub overflowing and water is leaking onto the floor, I first shut off the faucet and then I clean up the water with towels. Option two is, let's say I can't afford to shut off the faucet, I can't afford to remove these organisms, well then I need to figure out how to remove these particles uh, at, a, at a reasonable rate, faster, you know, or as fast as they're being produced. And so this is a lot like cleaning up the overflowing bathtub with towels nonstop, right? You're just going to keep cleaning up towels because you can't afford to shut the faucet off, right? And so when we're looking at that strategy, it's going to be heavy, heavy uh, around air purification, um, you know, probably upgrading our HVAC filtration system to something that is not, not only going to protect our coil, which constantly condensates and allows organisms to potentially grow, but also turning our HVAC system into like a gigantic air purifier. Um, we may want to include maybe some smaller air purification units too in the place we spend the most time. Uh, all that can be really done for 5000 or less. And we're probably going to want to change our cleaning products to whatever we use to something that's going to be more of a disinfectant uh, type of cleaning product and something, especially dealing with toxins, something that has a surfactant in it, which is fancy for dish soap. Um, so you're going to be looking for a uh, product that not only disinfects, but soaps up as well to help separate particles from surfaces and wipe them away. So changing our air filtration and purification systems and upgrading those and upgrading our cleaning products is something that's going to help us disinfect and remove things like mold and bacteria are going to be probably the two most cost-effective strategies to either buy time, um, you know, or figure out plan, you know, your next plan. But of course, the ideal scenario is removing those organisms and shutting off that faucet, if you will. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. The way you described that is really helpful to understand. I think for the listeners of like it's almost like putting a Band-Aid on it for for the most part, right? Like you're not actually maybe able to get to that root cause, but you are still able to manage and definitely reduce your exposure to these particles. There is one thing that I've been hearing a lot of lately that I wanted to debunk, um, this whole like fogging thing, right? Uh, have you heard of fogging? No. Okay. So there's companies out there that are telling people like, oh, you don't have to do anything. They call it like demolition-free remediation. And it's supposed to, 
uh, fog and get into every nook and cranny and like break everything down and kill it. And then all of a sudden your house is better. So the, um, there's white papers on this showing that the levels come back, you know, within three to six months. It's because a, you're not addressing the opportunity that allowed it to grow in the first place. Uh, B, you're really just breaking this stuff down into tinier particles, which are wor- almost worse for us because then it's much easier to pass through our self-defense mechanisms. Um, if you go to the American Lung Association website and talk about particle size and they'll say size matters, anything smaller than 10 microns uh, has the greatest health risk because it bypasses our self-defense mechanisms because it's so small and immediately enters our, our gut and our bloodstream, right? Now, what's smaller than 10 microns? Mold, bacteria, viruses, toxins, um, a lot of those things that we've heard of in, in microbiology that can cause problems. So it's no secret there. Uh, I think when you start breaking stuff down into smaller particles and hopes as a less cost-effective option that this is going to be good, do your homework. Almost anyone that's ever done this type of service as, as their way of remediation without really fixing the root cause of the problem, um, they might feel good for a week or two, and then all of a sudden they're right back into not feeling well. So it's because it can cost like five grand to do that, which might sound more appealing, but that's not going to work. And you're going to basically waste five grand if you do something like that. And so that is one myth I've been trying uh, to dispel pretty well. Good. I, I'm glad that I just learned that too, because that sounds like something that I would probably be curious about of looking at different options. And yeah, it can be tempting, but I'm always very I'm always skeptical of the cheaper option um, when it comes to stuff like this. So good to know. Um, are there any like air purification systems that you find to be helpful or ones that you find to not be helpful? Well, uh, air purification systems are kind of the wild, wild west these days. Um, they all have different technology and uh, they're all priced differently. The best tip that I can provide is find one that can remove the smallest particle possible. The smaller the particle can remove, the, the healthier that your air quality is going to be. Um, it means that there's less tiny particles that are going to be entering your body, bypassing your immune system, your self-defense mechanisms, et cetera, and just uh, immediately entering the gut and the bloodstream. So keep that in mind. Everything else is essentially a, a, a extra marketing uh, ploy here. So you have ionization, you have all these different things. And I've been on, on calls with, you know, CEOs of air purification companies about their product. And most of them, you know, have these gimmicks where they just try to, they're trying to do good. It's not that it's just that they're not realizing that destroying particles or forcing them to the floor is not going to be a, a finite solution for health practices. Um, just because even if it goes to the floor, it's eventually going to come re-aerosolize right back into our breathing zone and enter our body. Even if it's destroyed or smaller, it's still going to come in contact with our body. So these are things that are unknown, how much these things might still impact us. And so for me, I'm staying clear. I want a filter that can remove a tiny, as tiny a particle as possible. And I care about no other marketing terms for the moment. I like that. That's good. Stick to the science. Excellent. 
Um, so I feel like this has been incredibly helpful. I mean, just really giving a, a nice overview of kind of what are the harms, the health effects of these different mycotoxins and their particles and um, understanding what we can really do to to either take action or be preventative. Um, and then obviously supporting our bodies in the process as well and being patient in terms of any healing that might be required uh, as a result of these uh, different mycotoxins. Totally. You know, and my, my goal is to help people create healthier environments. Um, and it's, it's the great work of people like you and doctors out there that are helping them with the internal issues that can happen from this exposure. And it's a, it's a teamwork approach, you know, and unfortunately there is such a great risk and impact with the air that we breathe. And so we need that teamwork approach right now to help people get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when we talk about water, I know we briefly mentioned this in the beginning, but um, I think, you know, when you prioritize certain things, you mentioned like, yeah, almonds and grains and things like that. Like I really try to invest most of my financial ability into the things that, that I'm really consuming the most, which air, water are really two big things for me. So I am so grateful that you are an advocate in this field and an expert and that you are also working to educate companies and also consumers because this is new for a lot of us, right? This is something we've never heard of. So thank you so much. And it's um, desperately needed. Yes, desperately needed. Absolutely. I mean, you've mentioned these, um, you mentioned people on feeding tubes and, and, you know, I haven't seen clients at that level um, related to this, but, you know, definitely lots of patients with autoimmune gut issues. I think one that, that, that really gets me the most is the mental health side of things, you know, really mm -hmm. can create a lot of mental health challenges for people. And, you know, when we don't realize that that's related to our environment, oh my gosh, you just, you know, you're, you're struggling because of the, the toxins that are polluting your body or that you're ingesting, whatever it may be. And that is just, it's so sad to see. Anxiety and depression are on the rise, you know, air quality is on the decline, um, you know, and, and there is some correlation there. There's a lot of studies uh, in that regard. Uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen has been doing great work on inhalational Alzheimer's, as he calls it, because um, it, it this can also, cer certain species of mold and some of the toxins they produce can cause the early onset of dementia. Um, so there is a profound mental uh, impact. We have a lot of uh, people in the pans and pandas community um, mm -hmm. impacted and seem to to have worse triggers and uh, worse symptoms when they're, they're in not good environments. Uh, we're learning. We're learning a lot and we're learning quickly. Um, but this has a pretty far far reach. And so, you know, I, I, I please plead people to always check your environment and create the healthiest environment you can. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, this is the most important question before I let you go. It is, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? What is my favorite childhood memory with food? To be honest, there's this one childhood memory I have is with, um, and it's the same memory with both of my parents, sometimes together, sometimes separately. Um, and I would, <laughs> this is not a good dietitian food, by the way. So no I'm just throwing here. this out there. Um, 
I'm probably eight years old. And there was every time uh, my parents and I would go to church, again, sometimes together, sometimes with my dad, sometimes with just my mom, um, there was a Dunkin' Donuts that was on the way there and back. And they used to have this, this thing called Dunkachino. Okay. It was like this, basically this amazing, probably loaded with definitely loaded with sugar, um, like hot chocolate type drink and a bagel with cream cheese. And, you know, living in, living in New York and New Jersey for most of my life, it is not even a great bagel at all, but for some reason, just that combination, um, and just the, the communal, the communal feeling being with my parents and going back and forth. And so just like you always kind of knew that there was a large percentage of chance of opportunity that I was going to get this uh, delicious combination of food after going to this place. And so I think that uh, childhood memory always kind of, every time I pass the Dunkin' Donuts, I remember that. And then I choose not to go to Dunkin' Donuts anymore, but but it's but, it's good to be in, ingrained in my memory, so I'll always remember what that tastes like. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. And so if people are looking to connect with you, I mean, you've got tons of different, um, you know, resources on your website, and um, you have many social media pages. Where would be the best place for people to find you um, as well as your company? Well, I'm definitely most active on Instagram for social media purposes. I try to respond to every message, um, and and I and I do succeed, although it may take a day or two. But um, website wise, you can go to homecleanse.com. That would probably be the best way to uh, interact with me if you're looking to maybe get your home checked. Um, and then we have a nonprofit called Change the Air Foundation, and that's changetheairfoundation.org, where we advocate for not only the awareness and education, um, but research as well, uh, which is very fundamental to change. And um, we also are are big into working with the government. Uh, we have we're advocating for twelve updates in laws in twelve different states right now to better protect people for when they do have these events that occur to them and they don't have the right uh, coverages or protection uh, to make sure that they're able to resolve it properly, which is where a lot of heartache that I see happens. If you don't have the cost, the money to it, and maybe you're underinsured, as an example, people get, get stuck into these desperate situations. And we need to, we need to improve that because it affects all of us. I may buy a house today. Um, and that's already happened to me. I'm literally moving into a house next week. Um, and it may have problems and I don't know about it. Same thing for you and same thing for our neighbors and friends and loved ones. We have to stop that cycle from just repeating itself because it's creating an issue. And the only way we do that is to make sure that, you know, the the government is assisting us um, with good information and good resources. And that also insurance companies are assisting us uh, with good coverages and good, good uh, results when we do have these problems. And uh, sadly uh, it's far and too far and few between currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I hope for the future, I hope for a better future in this, in this field and support from these major organizations. And, you know, you're really paving the way for that to happen. So thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for giving me this platform to help create more awareness and educate. And uh, I really appreciate that. And it's going to take a team of us, a village of us to, to get it done. So thank you. 
Absolutely, Michael. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. And it was great to finally meet you. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in working one-on-one with one of our dietitians, you can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find my gut healing cookbooks. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.